to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to disaster recovery, business continuity, crisis management, COVID-19, anything that's relatable to the the disaster uh, industry. If there is a topic you'd like us to talk about on the show or you'd like to be on the show, please feel free. Send me an email. On the homepage for the show, there is a button that says send the host an email. I do get all emails and I do respond to everything I get. Also, if there's a product or service you'd like to advertise, you can reach me the same way and I can get some information for you. I'd like to remind everyone, fingers crossed, all of these still go ahead, but uh, I Hope to be in Phoenix, September 28th, to do another live broadcast at DRJ. October 7th and 8th, I will be speaking at the Continuity and Resilience Today conference in Toronto. And November 5th and 6th, I am speaking at the BCI World uh, conference in Birmingham, England. Fingers crossed, as I say, they all go forward. And I'd like to thank everybody at Stone Road and their product at BoastAssessment.com. Uh, which allows you to track the progress of your uh, continuity programs and allows you to focus your resources where you need to. So thanks to everybody there. Uh, Today, my guest, um, some of you might know, actually, uh, he was, if I'm, I hope I'm remembering this correctly, was supposed to present at the Continuity Insights Conference uh, in San Antonio in April, but uh, with uh, COVID-19, obviously, um, that did not go forward. So we're lucky enough to have him here today, and I'd like to welcome uh, industry expert Pat Corcoran. Pat, welcome to the show. Thanks, Alex. I look forward to this opportunity to share a discussion about resiliency and recovery with you and the audience. Thanks. Great. Um, now, I know I kind of said you'd be speaking at the conference, but could you give us a, uh, you know, a quick uh, bio, I guess, you know, introduce yourself, what you do, and how you got in the industry? Sure. Sure. Well, I've been with IBM for 43 years now. I started pretty young, I think, but uh, 43 years with IBM. In the last 31 years, uh, I've been part of what we call IBM Business Resiliency Service. In the 1988-89 timeframe, I was running market intelligence, and I I did the research to create this business, and it was something that was very interesting to me. I like to help people out. I volunteer a lot, and I felt... As a person, as an executive who used to run data centers, this was right up my alley. So I continued after I did the research that created the business, and I stayed with it. And I've been with it for 31 years as the director of marketing. I've been global sales, and currently I am the global strategy executive for resiliency services, ensuring that, one, we're meeting the direction and the market trends for our clients today and into the future, as well as being linked into the rest of IBM, making sure that what we're doing is aligned with the IBM strategy. 
Oh, so we got a head honcho from uh, IBM, eh? <laughs> I don't know about that, but we, you got a long-term and long-time employee. <laughs> well, 43 years, that is uh, a, a lot of dedication to one company and the industry, so that's great. So Thank you. Let's, let's start off with our first uh, topic. We were going to uh, talk about how the landscape is changing for business continuity and disaster recovery. In Obviously, we, you just mentioned 43 years um, you know, with IBM. How has the landscape changed and where do you see it potentially going? And you don't have to bring up COVID-19 yet. We'll, we'll, we'll get into that one a we'll little bit. We'll get there. Later. Yeah, we're, we'll get yeah. there. Yeah, it's a, you know it's an interesting topic. I I won't go all back to 43 years because that most of the people may not know what I did as a programmer back in the 70s. But you know when I started <laughs> in this business in 1989, and the focus you had a number of competitors, a number of vendors out there, but a focus was recovery, recovery of the IT infrastructure, and that IT infrastructure was a basically a mainframe, either mainframe or AS400. It was a data center, so some type of typically a weather event or power outage would impact it, and you would go back, you know, you would recover with that vendor at an alternate location. It was very manual, very IT-centric. The business community really wasn't actively involved, as you would think, like today. Mm -hmm. You look over those 31 years, in my view, one Today, it, it has to be a business discussion. Back then, it was an IT discussion. Grant you, our solutions today may address technology, but what we do and why we do it is all based on what's important to the business. So when you look at that, uh, one of the things that we tried to look at in IBM and our consultants and our sellers is look at your, your company's strategy, your company's organizational structure because your most important people are your, you know, people are the most important asset for every company. So strategy, mm-hmm. organization slash people, processes, those are all business. Then it'll lead to application data, which is the second most important asset every company has, technology and facilities. They're all tightly linked together, just like a chain. If there's a weak link anywhere, your whole corporation, your whole organization is at risk. And then that change over the years, we've seen the manual effort has been a challenge because we're getting to be more, I'll say, more complex from a technology standpoint. Businesses are, are enabling technology. Technology is, you know, is kind of driving how businesses are going to be done. So where now clients need the recovery time and recovery point objectives where they used to be 24 hours recovery time, recovery point objective, and days for recovery time. Now, clients can't afford to lose any data, recovery point, and yeah. they want to be up and running within hours or minutes. So there's a big change that you have to move from that manual effort to more an automated technology to help meet the needs of the business today. So with cloud, private or public, multi-cloud and hybrid, you know, the, the on-premise, all of that combined has led to where we need to look at utilizing more technology, more automation, more orchestration to ensure that businesses can recover in the proper time frame that they need to to support the business needs. 
it, it's funny you mentioned uh, you know those 24 hours I and you know the AS 400 etc in mainframe I remember uh, when I started that was still going on you know and going through exercises yeah. that would take two three days because the first 24 hours was rebuilding the mainframe <laughs> setting up right right <laughs> so you you brought up an interesting point here you know um, with technology driving business. Is it technology driving business, or is it people like me on the street that's demanding more that makes the technology, you know, um, people investigate and make the technology more robust and, you know, all these new applications and different ways of doing things? Or it is a hybrid of both? I think it's a hybrid of both. You know, I think we as, again, you look back, I'm not sure your age, but if I look back at my time frame, I didn't have the technology. I didn't have all the conveniences. We mm-hmm. now, myself, I live on my phone. My phone is with me 24 by 7, as much as I hate to admit that. So I yeah. have access to my corporation, my business, my client, 24 by 7, and they have access to me. And yeah. I think we have become, the technology has improved tremendously. Right? We've seen it just so fast. It's so real in most cases, reliable. And you can do so much more that we as a society, as an individual, I want to do more. My expectations are higher. I, ex- I expect, I, I, when I go to the website to access something, I expect that to be available. And if it's not, I'm jumping over to somebody else who, who has a similar product or the same product. So we, we yeah. become very impatient. We expect things to be always available. And I, so I think it's a combination of technology has enhanced. We we love that 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 uh, improvement in what it does for us, and therefore we have higher expectations constantly, which is driving our resiliency business. So how do you keep up with that? If you know, because I know banks still have mainframes. You know, um, quite a few do. I know that. Uh, I you know they're still around. So how how do you deal with those kind of situations when that demand is there? You know, for the snap of a finger, you know, they want a response, you know, either the organization, a customer, client, or the person on the street wants an instant response. But yet there's still some of this old stuff out there. How do you, how do you deal with that? Well, that, that is a challenge. That's what I'll call the hybrid environment. Now, you mentioned the mainframe. Fortunately, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, the, the, most of the major banks still use mainframes. But the good part of it is, is that the mainframe has, in my eyes, has kept up. They've been advancing the capability of the mainframe over year after year, making it faster, more dependable. So it's still a, a, a tremendous asset to use to manage your business. But we're also seeing, to your point, is the cloud. The cloud has, especially during this time frame we're all living in now, I know we'll talk more about COVID later, but... The cloud is advancing at a rapid pace. Now, many of us will sit there and say cloud's been around for years, and it, and it has, depending on how you define it. But bottom line, we need to find ways to have easy, easier access to data, easier access to compute technology. Some of the banks, and probably most of the banks, they use a hybrid solution, which is on-prem that could include the mainframe and and other products within their own facilities, mm-hmm. as well as public and private cloud. They use a mixture. And that's, 
that's the challenge because you've got this mixed environment. Where in, in years ago, you had one platform, whether it was mainframe or iSeries or a Sun Solaris, so you named the product. It, most people stuck with one environment. But as we have, as technology has changed, as, as we've changed and our needs have changed, we've especially the bigger the bigger the organization, they have a hybrid environment. So now mm-hmm. for recovery or resiliency, that's really changed the complexity. And so where you just had one platform before we had to recover, now you've got to re- recover a mixture, a hybrid environment that's interdependent on one another. One product, one platform may be more, maybe the center of, it, of the universe for them, but they're all interdependent, yeah. and you've got to have a recovery plan that addresses that. Well, because you mentioned interdependencies, I'm going to ask you a question we probably weren't going to cover here, but I'll, I'll ask you. How do you identify all those interdependencies if something happens? What do you suggest organizations do? Well, I think it, it all starts out with planning. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a stickler for planning, and I think if there's one thing that I've seen over the years, and I've, I've I haven't created, I hope, but I've monitored well over a thousand crisis events, a thousand client recoveries, right, during my time mm-hmm. at IBM. And the people who plan ahead of time are the ones who are going to be successful. And there's a lot to planning. One is, you know, the business impact analysis. As you mentioned earlier, you've been, obviously you've been doing this for years in this industry, like myself. BIA or business impact analysis is still, to me, one of the most critical components of what you need to do to start the foundational approach to disaster recovery or business continuity. You've got to understand what, what's, what processes are the most important and why they're the most important. And if they weren't available, what would be the impacts? Two, mm-hmm. how are they dependent on one another? Right. I mentioned the seven, the, the seven layers, I'll call them, the, the strategy, the organization, and the processes, and that went down to the application and data. When you're doing this planning, what you have to do is map that out. And, and I'll tell you, you know, over the years, that's been one of the issues I think clients have had. They haven't really, especially with a complex environment, they haven't mm-hmm. mapped out or kept that map in current. And... It gets back to disaster recovery, business continuity planning. It needs to be part of your culture. It needs to be when there's a change made, it shouldn't be finalized unless the, the business continuity disaster recovery team also is part of the decision, making sure that whatever risk may be increased, that the DR or BC plans are current. Because I've seen so many cases over the years where a client would declare a disaster, and when they get to the facility, oh, that we need different technology. We we've done we've made changes. Yeah, you can't wait to the time of a crisis. You have to do that ahead of time, so that planning is so important. And there's tools out there today, whether it's from IBM or other vendors, that can help you map the processes to the applications to the technology. And there's one thing I would you know I I would stress over and over again. It's the planning piece and mapping that out and making sure that when changes are made, DR and business continuity, it's always got to be part of it. Well, you you brought up another interest. See, I love this. We go way off of uh, our agenda here. <laughs> I love <okay>. this. <laughs> 
you mentioned you're making it part of the culture. How do you make it part of the culture? I, I, I've heard different ways uh, of uh, of doing that, you know, including BIAs in project management and different things. So what would be your suggestion on how to make that, you know, maintaining these uh, mappings um, part of the culture? Well, I'll start to say, first of all, how to make business continuity and disaster recovery part of the culture. And it gets back to what's the what's core to what we do. It's identifying mm-hmm. and managing risk, right? It's all about risk. And when I talk to a customer, before I talk to a client, especially if they're a, a public, public entity where there's a, an annual report, I go out there and read their annual report. And in, in every annual report, they talk about what risk could impact the operations of the business, what risk could impact the success, financial success, and the reputational success of the business. What I'm surprised yeah. at is when I talk to clients, and typically we're talking to the CIO or down the CIO's organization, many people I'm surprised at don't, are not aware of what the strategy is. They're not aware of what risk did the CEO and the CFO highlight in the annual report that could impact the business. And I, I prepare that way because I want to go in there and help the IT people, because, again, that's typically where we start. I want to help them demonstrate they, they, they've got to have a discussion with the executives, up to the CEO and the CFO. Mm-hmm. You've got to have a discussion with them that's a business discussion. I think too often, even when I ran data centers, I'm going back a lot of years, I had an IT mentality, and that's how I approach things. Today, you can't. You've got to have the ability, if you want to get funding, from the people who release the funds, the budget, and that's the business people, you've got to talk their language. So you've got to, you've mm-hmm. got to take your IT environment and un- help them understand how it's identifying, supporting their strategic direction, and how it's meeting their business needs to ensure continuous business operation. With all that, I believe it starts at the top. The culture, if the CEO sponsors this program, now, you and I, as, you know, looking up at our CEO, if, they, if we see they sponsor it and they're supporting this, we will. When you see that, they're, that the corporation is creating, I'll call them guidelines or standards, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll, we'll be part of it. When you understand that there's risk and there's training about why everybody in the company needs to understand risk, why everybody needs to be part of the business continuity program, it becomes part of your culture. So I think it starts from the very top. I won't say they've got to own it, the CEO, but they've got to sponsor and support the program and then have everybody in the company see it and then give periodic updates. And I, you know, when I did tests, I always talk about bring different people in, diff- different people from different parts of the business. Have them involved in the test or the exercise. I I, I kind of relate it. You and I chatted earlier about music when we first met. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you could have the best musicians, but if they haven't practiced together and they don't have the music in front of them or it's not well, you know, you can have the best people, but without that the music and without the practice, you're not going to be successful. The band, the orchestra won't be successful. So no matter how good you are, it takes planning, it takes a conductor, it takes support from the top, 
to bring everybody together. I hope that helps. I'm just, yep. I believe it starts at the top and, and, and you all will fall in line. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good spot to end our first segment. We're talking with Pat Corcoran from IBM and we will be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Join Chris Epting every week for the moment. Chris talks to some of the most amazing people you'll ever meet, including authors, artists, and athletes. And that's just the A-list. These celebrities and public figures have interesting stories that all showcase the moments that their lives took a certain dramatic turn, changing them forever and shaping them to be the person that they were meant to be. Listen for The Moment with Chris Epting, Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think of the world. 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Do you know that over 70% of people with disabilities are not counted in the workforce with twice the unemployment rate of the non-disabled? Join Joyce Bender, CEO of Bender Consulting Services and a disability leader as she talks about best practices and newest trends in disability employment on Disability Matters. As a person living with epilepsy and hearing loss, Joyce is an international advocate for disability employment. Tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullick. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with Pat Corcoran from IBM about uh, business continuity and disaster recovery and the changing landscape. Pat, at the beginning of our first segment, I, I said we, you know, we touch on COVID nineteen a little later. So, you you gave us some great information in the first segment of how the landscape is changing and what you know, organizations need to think. How is COVID nineteen now changing the landscape? 
Well, that's a great question. It really has. I think, you know, over the years, we've seen pandemics way in the past, but nothing to this extreme. Right? I think I've never seen a, an account, a client, who said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have 50%, that's the max, 50% of my workforce working from home. And look what we're seeing, 95%, if not 100 And that's not just one company. That's global. It's across the globe. So, one, I think we've never seen the, the, the need for remote work in it to the extent we are, which is putting a strain on technology from a network standpoint, capacity standpoint. But also, many companies were never, because they never saw this coming, or at least not to this extreme, they, they many cases, they don't allow people to work from home or they, or they don't give them the technology. And I think there, that was a major learning experience for every company that, mm-hmm. okay, now I, I've only got, I've only planned for me at the most 50%. Now I've got 100% or 95%. How do I give them, get, get them the technology? Or if I allow them to access the, my business through their own home PC, now you've got a security, potential security issue because are the, are the personal computers up to date with security and antivirus? Do they have all the right patches? And then the, do you have the right gateways from a security standpoint to ensure no matter what they have at home, I can get the people to my corporate assets in a secure manner, but also not allowing them to do things that I don't want them to do. So, one, we've seen a huge uptick in the remote, you know, the remote work area, uh, workforce working from home. Mm-hmm. We've seen the remote capabilities where data centers have to, but a large share of their personnel are working remotely. And, and I think that's going to, you know, how much, when we say the new normal, who knows what the new normal is going to be. But I think we have to adjust our business continuity and disaster recovery plans. Because we are dealing with a, a crisis right now, right? And we mm-hmm. it's the health crisis, but it's also impacted employment. It's impacted the supply chain. Uh, more than anything, I've been speaking about supply chain going back prior to 9-11. But I've never seen a case, and I never expected to see a case, where the global supply chain was going to be impacted all at once. And that is something... When you talk about the small to mid-sized clients to the big clients, it, it, it's impacted everybody. So mm-hmm. when you talk about business continuity planning, if it's critical, one, to think about how do I address my people, whether it's all a large percentage working remotely. How do I get, ensure that the security is going to be there when these folks access, access our information technology infrastructure? And three, supply chain. How do I know that my suppliers will be available in a crisis to ensure that they can provide the services and or products to us when we need it. It's, it's on us as part of planning to work, identify which suppliers are the most critical and why, and then work with them to say, listen, you're on our critical path. We need to understand how you're going to do. I'm sure they, they don't always share their business continuity disaster recovery plan, but you want right. to ensure yeah. that they've got a plan in place to support you if, if 
they were to experience a, a crisis. So COVID is, I think, has raised the awareness tremendously. Now, and it's going to be here for a while. And that's, that's something different. Most of the time in a crisis, it's short. Two or three months later, it's forgotten. This one, I don't think it's going to be forgotten for quite some time. Yeah. This is going to be one of those times where you know, 20 years from now, it's going to be, where were you when? Yeah, you know. exactly right. I agree with you. <laughs> you yeah, you mentioned um, supply management. I, I've, maybe you've read some of these articles as well, but it seems that there's a big change coming in that area as well because a lot of organizations, and you mentioned it, you know, uh, the, the global supply chain, people are starting to look at alternatives. You know, is that going to be changing some of our um, – uh, the way we do our business continuity and disaster recovery, because we may not want that vendor in Japan or, you know, Australia anymore. We may be looking at the state next door. Is that? It's, do you I, think there's going to be I, a change there? I believe it will, Alex. I think that we 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 got lazy, right? We haven't had a pandemic mm-hmm. or anything like this in my lifetime. And uh, and I think now we've seen it. Like you said, everybody's going to know where they were when this happened. In the supply chain, we're all going to be looking at this can happen again. And we know there's no right now. There's no vaccine for this. And who knows what's going to happen? We have no idea. Nobody's got the crystal mm-hmm. ball. But you've got to anticipate that a region may be impacted, a country, a region, or the. Uh, I pray to God not to have a global again. But it could. So we've mm-hmm. got in our supply chain, we can't become dependent on one supplier, one suppliers in one region. We have to look at that supply chain and see how do we minimize our risk. Now, that can have a lot of different pros and cons impact because you look at quality, you look at cost. But we realize, we, we can see right now what we're dealing with, and it's impact this. And I haven't seen something like this since the, the Japanese, the, the earthquake and tsunami that happened, the, the great earthquake in Japan a number of oh, years yeah, ago, yes. yep. when the automotive industry, I think it was the, the airbags, but there was one company that, that had the airbags that everybody used. And it, it impacted the supply chain of our automotive industry. Well, we're seeing that again, but not just in automotive, we're seeing it across everybody. So. We have to mm-hmm. really look at it. It's not putting the blame on any country, any region, or any supplier. But we, in our business, you mentioned earlier we were talking culture before. That's part of our business processes. That's part of our culture. We have right. to look at what can we do to address this, to minimize that risk. You you talked about uh, you know a lot of people working from home now. With organizations who have you know ninety percent to a hundred percent you know of their staff working from home, how do you think that's going to change uh, business continuity or disaster recovery? Because I could you know we could have a regional disaster here where I live, uh, you know, and it has absolutely zero impact on the rest of the company. Do you see any kind of uh, changes at looking at you know contingency strategies or IT uh, DRP strategies? Well, I think it, it de- one it, it demonstrates this demonstrated the importance of the people, and I I've always said the most important asset every company has are their people. Right? You can have Agreed. all the greatest yep. technology in the world, but without people, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And so your business continuity plan, to your point, in my eyes, people have to be the first thing that's addressed. 
based on business needs. The technology is a follow-on, but understanding, like now we're sitting there seeing that people work from home, where they used to work from the office. You had more communications, or if I had a, a upcoming weather event or a power outage, I'd say, Alex, you and these three people go to the recovery site. Well, mm-hmm. today, tomorrow, I don't know if we're going to have that, right? Right now, people don't want to travel. And I've always talked about, and this happened during Katrina, you know, I always talk about my wife and three kids and my dog. That's my life. And if they're in harm's way anyway, I'm not leaving my family because that's my life. And I think every human being or most, most human beings think that way. So we mm-hmm. have to address the people aspect in our planning. We have to include it now. And we're seeing this work from home. That's good. But now I can sit there and say, Alex, you're going to work from home in a recovery. But now you got to look at what if you don't have the power? You don't have the mm-hmm. Internet access, right? What if it affects you? And then it gets back to how do I have a backup? Do I have a backup? You know, maybe I'm your backup, Alex, and, but I'm next door to you. So you got to look. At, I think we have to do a better job of looking at our skills, our resources, to understand how the best way is. What's the best way to approach it? Because it all, we can use technology. I mentioned up front, automation is critical today, and it still is. But you still need people. You're still going to need the people to, to monitor, to utilize that automation, that technology, to ensure that your, the, the critical business flow, uh, the critical business is still operational. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's something I think the people part of it, will lead to the technology, and uh, that's the first thing and the most important thing that needs to be addressed in my eyes. Uh, I agree with you. Uh, I know over you know over the years that you've been in the industry, and I know I've been in for 22, that you know I've always heard people are the most important, but yet when you go to conferences and things like that, it's really just a sentence that gets said and not really looked at. I agree. Do, do you think it's going to really involve like business continuity it's going to involve a lot more participation from uh groups like human resources as an example you know to really start bringing in that people aspect so that you we're not just talking it's not lip service saying that people are you know important now we really actually have to make some real fundamental changes on what we're doing Do, do you have any thoughts on that well, I, I'm glad you brought it up because I think there's so much you can cover, and we've, we've only got a limited time. The HR <laughs> function, I think to your point, it, everybody thinks it's technology, and then the IT organization will take care of it. I don't, I don't agree with that based on what we yeah. just talked about. HR yeah. needs to be an integral part of the business continuity plan. And I prefer, this is Pat Corcoran, I prefer business continuity or resilience. Why? You know, we've had DR, disaster recovery, for so many years, and many times that word, that phrase is technology only, the disaster only, it's a react only. And we need to make this a more proactive Mm -hmm. uh, approach. That's what you and I were talking about, making it part of the culture. It needs to be Mm -hmm. part of our business operation. Don't make it a react scenario. It's got to be a proactive scenario. And if if we need it, great. But you use it to make improvements to your business make improvements to your how your people think and how they operate. And it's amazing when I think you do the companies that do do it well, 
and they include their people up front, and it's part of the culture, they're a better company for it, mm-hmm. in my eyes. Well, like I said, you know, I've been to many conferences where people are talking, you know, uh, the most important asset is people, but then they just kind of move on to other things. And I'm thinking now, well, COVID-19, even when it was still just in China, it was people-based, you know, and as that grew globally, that's when we started to see the supply chain management issues, the, you know, all all the other different things that have happened since. So that's why... So that's why I'm thinking, you know, human resources people, they've got to be more involved. HR needs to be not just techno IT, HR mm-hmm. as well as the, I'll call it the business owners. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a group team, but I'll say the business people, the technology people. I'll use, this, I'll use the security slash HR teams, right, because they're focused mm-hmm. on people. They've got to be working as, a, as, a, as one team, especially during a crisis. It starts in planning. Yeah. I think that's a good spot to end our second segment. We are talking with Pat Corcoran from IBM today, and we will be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Join Chris Epting every week for the moment. Chris talks to some of the most amazing people you'll ever meet, including authors, artists, and athletes. And that's just the A-list. These celebrities and public figures have interesting stories that all showcase the moments that their lives took a certain dramatic turn, changing them forever and shaping them to be the person that they were meant to be. Listen for The Moment with Chris Epting, Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Do you know that over 70% of people with disabilities are not counted in the workforce with twice the unemployment rate of the non-disabled? Join Joyce Bender, CEO of Bender Consulting Services and a disability leader as she talks about best practices and newest trends in disability employment on Disability Matters. As a person living with epilepsy and hearing loss, Joyce is an international advocate for disability employment. Tune in on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with Pat Corcoran from IBM. Pat, in our second segment, you talked about um, some information security and cyber um, resiliency there. We touched on it. Um, I'm wondering how you see that changing now that we're in you know, COVID-19, the pandemic, and how you see that changing beyond COVID, the COVID-19 era. Well, I think one of the things we've seen in, in our industry, and if you don't, hopefully you agree, is the number one, the fastest growing risk that we are all, we all are dealing with is cyber. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, yep. during a crisis like COVID, you know, you name the crisis event, the hackers. This is when they become the most aggressive, and mm-hmm. they they're coming after us when we're the most vulnerable. Right? They've got yep. to be right once. We've got to be right a hundred percent of the time. So, you know, over the years, it's it's been. Most people looked at this as a security issue only. But then what we've been seeing over the past two or three years, and we've all seen every day there's something in the newspaper about a ransomware attack or some type of hacking situation, yeah. we, where we've seen that they, well, how, are, how are they going to recover? And one of the changes from, from a DR, from a business continuity or disaster recovery, again, whatever I use them both interchangeably here, but we have to include cyber in our business continuity plan. Many people call it cyber resilience. Whatever you want to call it, the days of when we could just uh, a weather event, I got a tape or I've got my data backed up to alternate location A, I could just take that and recover. But with cyber, you can't just do that because you don't know what the issue is. You don't know mm-hmm. what data is good. We had done research with Ponymon research over the years where, on the average, a hacker is in your system nearly 192 days. That's, when I read that, I, I was amazed. Now, that's when we find them. That's when either the hacker says it's time to open up, you know, make them aware, or they've been doing things and we didn't catch it. So, mm-hmm. one... I think there's, you know, when you look at security and when you look at continuity and slash resiliency or recovery, there's a common theme, risk. We need to be bringing these functional teams within companies together. Too often I find that they're separate, right? Security people, oh, at the security Mm -hmm. cyber thing, go talk to security people. Is that the recovery? Go talk to recovery people. But we're seeing that there's this, this common theme of risk. And we've got to be doing more together. And I, I am seeing that transition for the CISO slash CIOs is 
they are looking at both and bringing those units together, those functional teams together. But we need to do mm-hmm. more because it isn't easy to address cyber, which we all know. If it was easy, we wouldn't be talking about it. But from a recovery standpoint, you, you have to incorporate it because how do I recover? Once I've done the root cause analysis of what the issue is, what the cyber attack is for, you know, what they did, now what am I going to recover? How am I going to recover? And what files, what data files, what backup files can I go to? Because are they, are they clean? Are they safe? So I feel in IBM... That's one of our primary strategic focus areas is addressing cyber in the business continuity and disaster recovery plan or resiliency as we look at it. Uh, it it's interesting you, you mentioned bringing those uh, the security private uh, security cyber team together with BCP because at uh, my last actual quote full time role you know, before I was self employed. You know, I was in actually security and business continuity team. So they were actually okay. starting to bring them together, and that was back in 2005 or something like that. So you're, you're, you were years ahead of your time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope I hope members of my team were listening. Yeah. <laughs> um, to, to to stay on this the cyber uh, security and privacy type stuff. Do you think there are uh, different challenges now with COVID nineteen? Because as you mentioned. There are so many people working from home, so that's got to prove to be some different challenges now. It, not everybody's in this, the same location, you know, all on the same floor or the same building. You know, we're all spread out all over the place. So, there's, are there different challenges now uh, with regards to cyber? I think there there are because, as I mentioned, er, <coughs> excuse me, as I mentioned earlier, and you just mentioned it, ninety five percent plus of the of the employees are working from home. But, you know, one, did the company have a policy in place to address that, to address anybody working from home or to address everybody working from home? And if you do, what are the security policies? I mean, like for me, I have a my system at home. I can't hook up any uh, thumb joint, you know, uh, any, any storage, external storage. Mm-hmm. I can't do it. IBM doesn't allow me. Right? It's got to go through IBM. Now, i got my personal stuff on my personal computer, but on the IBM computer, you're going to go through the IBM network. It, they kind of restrict what you can do because of the security. So we've got, we've, got, we've got guidelines and we've got policies, and we get trained. Every, every year we have to take a, some training, and we have to pass a test. And mm-hmm. you get tested. As much as I hate to admit it, one time I got caught by a test, because uh, it was something I expect, I was expecting this email, and I got it. But so I overreacted, and IBM said, "Hey, Pat, you just failed this test, right?" So I had to do some more training. So you know, it starts at the top. You've got to make it what we said before. It's got to become part of the culture. And re- cyber now is reality. And and I make it personal. And when I talk to people about cyber, yes, mm-hmm. the company need a policy. The company needs to address it collectively across the business. They need to educate people. But I take it more, because in two years, years ago, I got three letters saying, Mr. Corcoran, you've been, we're happy to inform you that your data has, might have been compromised, your personal data. Three letters in two years. Now, so I was a lucky guy. 
So I tell people, I take this personal because, bottom line, they're coming after you and me. It, mm-hmm. it starts us. We have to take, we have to be diligent in what we do or don't do. We have to be observant. We've got to help our companies, the companies that we work for or the companies we interact with. We have to be always on our toes. So, yes, the companies can create a policy. They can do training. I think they must. Because when you see how important it is for the company, then it becomes important for you. But yeah. what they're going after, the personal data, is you and me, our data. So we, each one of us, need to take this personal. And so I tell people, it starts with you. You oh, make a difference. Exactly. Yeah, I agree with you completely. Any suggestions for those you know, that are working from home but work with paper files? Still, because, you know, I'm sure you've been to client sites or, you know, and there's still those big file cabinets full of client files that people use and update and print documents. And now we're all working from home. So any suggestions on how that should be managed? Well, I, could be managed? I, I hate at my age, I still have a lot of stuff. That I, I have hard copy, <laughs> but, you know, I do see, what, and I'll say in the medical profession, I see all these files. Smaller doctors, mm-hmm. maybe, but I'm like, wow, what if something happened to a fire here? All these, all these records are gone. Now, again, I think it starts with there you want company. I mean, myself, I, I'm on two boards for nonprofits, and I've, I've been the president of one, and I've been the treasurer or secretary of another one for president. And I scan everything, maybe because of my technology background. Everything that comes in, financial records, you name it. Now, again, I... I, when I took over, that's when I started it. And if I can do scan the old records, I do it. From a company standpoint, you've got, again, you've got to have a guideline. I don't want people, you know, I may, I may want to back up my file, and IBM says you can't do it on an external data, you know, on a hard drive. But mm-hmm. I, and I understand why. So I, you've got to have some controls to ensure that the data you're backing up, the data you're scanning, whatever, is protected that it's not a virus, you know, you can't just have people put them on a thumb drive or external and say, okay, I'll recover from that. Who knows if it's secure? So every company, every organization, it's up to you. You need to take this serious because, you know, like I said before, a hacker's only got to be correct once. We have to be right 100% of the time. So I think it's on us as as corporations, as leaders, to ensure that we that we help our employees, whether it's we know they're working from home, whether we give them the technology that they use, I would. I know it's a cost, but that's a technology. I would create, make sure that there there's policies in place of what you can and can't do on those company assigned assets, and how you link into your company to do your job. Again, you've got to make sure that's all secure. And mm-hmm. when you hear it from the top down, and when you know that it's part of your job, even if you, and if you and if you don't follow the policies, your job may not be there anymore. I think you need that in the company, especially in the world we live in today. Security is critical, and that's why again I link it into business continuity because mm-hmm. how do I ensure the continuous availability of my business? What I call continuity or resiliency. It incorporates security. So it's up to us as leaders to make that happen for our company. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I know. I know it's a challenge. I've I've, <clears throat> I've heard some places. You know, they still have a couple of people go into the office because they deal with paper files, and because yeah. they don't have any kind of policy to deal with those files leaving the building. So I just thought I'd uh, ask you that question. Um, we only have three minutes left, believe it or not, Pat. <laughs> so, okay. Goes by quick. So uh, let, let's give you uh, two and a half minutes there. Do you have any final thoughts, things on, uh, you know, um, with business continuity disaster recovery and COVID-19 and where things are going? I'll do a, a couple, a few thoughts, if you don't mind, and thanks for the time. Sure. Is one, when you talk about planning, I, I call it the domino effect. Don't just focus on an earthquake or an or a, a pandemic, or one event. Because what we've seen over history is when a crisis event happens, it triggers something else. It triggers another crisis. So when you look at your planning and you look at risk, make sure you look at this thing happened and what's it going to create? What could it cause? What other, what other crisis events could it cause? You need to incorporate that in your business continuity planning, please. Um, two, the emotions we all go through. You know, in life, we go through, like, what I'll call uh, the comfort zone. You know, we, we're in a comfort zone, like before COVID, and all of a sudden, it hit. It hit, and we all move into a fear zone. That's life. That's how we, we all go through these, these different zones of comfort, fear, learning, and growth. But understanding how you deal with those, is going to help you get through that those zones quicker. And companies mm-hmm. need to understand people are going to be people are human, right? There's going to go there's yeah. a fierce factor, but you got to help them understand how do we get through this quicker. And I tell my kids, they've always got to make negatives into positives. And so it starts with people, but companies need to be behind their people and support them. But there's two areas that I would think, whether it's COVID nineteen, this this comfort zone that I talk about. Or the, the the domino effect of crisis, they're going to happen. It's going to happen mm-hmm. nonstop, and you've got to plan for it. And now is the time to be talking to your executives, to your employees. Now is the time to be talking to everybody in your company. Don't wait till we find a you know a we get a cure. We've got to be addressing this now because how you yep. operated prior to COVID, you may be a different looking company, or at least a portion of what you did before when you come out of this. But you're going to come yep. out of it stronger if you include your people in the discussion. Those are some of the and three I, recommendations I would recommend at the end. And that's the perfect spot to, to end our show with today. Pat, thank you very much for sharing your time and expertise with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And to everybody listening out there, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.